every girl in my computer science class told me that it was so much easier than they thought it was going to be. I was like, exactly, because you have this myth, right? You have this myth in your brain of this being hard and that you don't belong here. And it's actually not that tough. You're enjoying it. A few years ago, I had one female student in a computer science class, one out of 20. (laughs) And now I have an equal number. That's amazing. In the classroom where you are able to kind of share that excitement, where students are really picking up on that excitement on their own and then saying, oh, what could you do with that excitement? How can it take you to something in the future that you might be interested in? Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we report every day on what's happening all around us in technology, science, and business. What happens here matters everywhere, as we like to say. And each week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest and most interesting stories our team has been covering. Today, we're delighted to bring you a special episode of the GeekWire podcast. We're joined by three teachers who are being honored at this year's GeekWire Awards as our STEM Educators of the Year. These are the folks who are inspiring and nurturing our kids. And without them, we wouldn't have an Entrepreneur of the Year or Next Tech Titan to celebrate at the awards. This is the second year that we're recognizing outstanding STEM educators, and we are once again thrilled to partner with Dreambox Learning in support of this award. Joining us for today's discussion is Dreambox Learning CEO and past GeekWire Awards CEO of the Year, Jesse Willie Wilson. Thanks for being here, Jesse. I am so excited to be in the presence of these amazing educators that are having generational impact on the lives of families and communities, and I would argue our democracy. So thanks for all you do, ladies. Our three recipients were chosen from dozens of community nominees for their impressive contributions to our schools. They will be honored on May 12th at the 14th annual GeekWire Awards, which we're delighted to hold in person this year at Showbox Soto after two all virtual ceremonies due to COVID. If you're interested in tuning in to see the winners across more than a dozen categories at the award celebration, make sure to register at geekwire.com slash awards. Now let's meet our honorees. Stephanie Winslow is a teacher at South Kitsap High School here in the Puget Sound area. She is teaching AP environmental science, astronomy, and earth sciences, as well as advising additional clubs and programs. And hers might be the only classroom in the state featuring a full astronaut suit. We also have Johanna Brown. She is a teacher at Pullman High School in Eastern Washington, and she has been recognized for not only recruiting large numbers of female students to her AP computer science class, but also for passing unusually high numbers of students in the AP exam. Johanna additionally coaches her school's award-winning Science Bowl team. And we have Davina Khan, who is a former middle school teacher and now the Computer Science and Information Technology Instructional Designer at the West Valley Innovation Center in central Washington near Yakima. Davina is spreading STEM education in the area's schools and broader community, including having students co-teach classes with her. I had the privilege of writing a profile of all of you, and what really struck me is the amount of innovative, no-barrier thinking that you're bringing to the classroom. It's just phenomenal. 
And Jesse, I'd love to turn it over to you to get this conversation started. Well, thank you, Lisa. I have to tell you, when we think about all the kids that we try to serve at Dreambox Learning, I'm oftentimes asked how important technology is in the learning process. And I say, if I had a choice between picking the best technology or picking the best teacher, I would pick the best teacher 10 out of 10 times. And people are surprised to hear me say that because I lead a learning technology company. But we are here to try to create more space for the art of teaching. Let technology do what technology does best so that it can help support you in your work to do the magic that happens between a teacher and a student or groups of students. So as you think about your crafts and as you think about what you do every day, how do you think about bringing STEM to more audiences, especially more diverse audiences as part of what you do every day? Davina, why don't we start with you? At my school, we have a program called Ignite and uh, you've probably heard about it. Uh, So we've been uh, an IGNITE chapter for uh, several years. IGNITE stands for Inspiring Girls Now in Technology Evolution. And they are a nonprofit out of Seattle, and we are a chapter. Well, one of my visions has been to increase the number of female students in STEM courses in our district. And so there's a huge gender gap, as we all know, in STEM. And we've been trying to bridge that gap. And with the help of Ignite, we've actually inspired so many girls. Uh, I was just thinking about it a few years ago. I had one female student in a computer science class. How many total students? One out of 20. <laughs> and now I have an equal number. Of, That's amazing. Uh, yes. And so we've been with Ignite for a few years. And I believe there is a responsibility upon us as educators to intentionally work in this area because it shouldn't just be dominated by one kind of gender. So that's one thing. The other thing is just spreading the knowledge of STEM across our community. And uh, one of the things that we've done at my school is offer adult education classes to uh, technology education classes to our community. So we open it up and our students teach these classes. And so I'm just standing there and the students have actually gone through the lesson planning uh, process and everything. And this is causing a ripple effect. You know, there's other students getting excited about this and the understanding of STEM is getting infiltrated into our community. So uh, we also are planning to do a STEM camp for younger kids. Uh, that again, being led by our students at the Innovation Center. So uh, all of these efforts, I feel, are helping us to reach our goal of involving more community and more variety and a wider range of people into STEM. That's fantastic. Maybe you're even cultivating new teachers, future teachers, too. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) And I, I always feel like Students learn best when they teach, yeah, and and I can see it happening in front of my eyes at this point. Fantastic. Stephanie, what about you? When I think about our school, so I'm at South Kitsap High School, the one thing that we have at our school that's amazing is an award-winning uh, TV program, and so it's called WTV, Wolf TV. 
and students, you know, run the show. And so one of the things that we've done just as like a scientific community in our like CTE, because I'm a CTE teacher, career technical education teacher as well, is really look at, you know, the populations that we're serving and think about like, how can we create a vision where students can see themselves doing anything? And so we've been able to take our WTV program and we have these students that put on, you know, some of the funniest PSAs and they're really good about, you know, just capturing kind of the essence of a classroom and, you know, just kind of making sure that you're showing that all different types of students are taking our courses. There are all different types of, of jobs and careers in the STEM field, uh, something for everybody, really. And I think that it's not just about gender or, you know, ethnicity. It's just students who don't necessarily see themselves as strong science students as well. So that's something that we do. I know we also have a lot of clubs. I was talking with my co-advisor of the club, and we were talking about how we have a large number of female students running our club for the last couple of years. And we were talking about like promoting, okay, we need to kind of look at our group and, and kind of think about promoting our women. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think that with in the classroom, and I'm sure that Johanna and Davina probably do the same thing, you know, just where you are able to kind of share that excitement, where students are really picking up on that excitement on their own and then saying, oh, well, how, what could you do with that excitement? How can it uh, take you to, you know, something in the future that you might be interested in? Johanna. Everything these two said, absolutely amazing. And when I think about just science traditionally, and as, as a chemistry teacher, I have students who are going to go take chemistry in college frequently. And chemistry, typically general chemistry in college is such a gate kept class, right? We say that there are these weed out classes. And even if we just stop gatekeeping, it doesn't actually stop the action from happening, right? So how are we intentionally seeking out students? And that's something I've been really thoughtful about is just talking to girls. I go visit classes younger than mine. I've gone down to the middle school just so they can see pictures of our, of their, of our class so that they can see me and I can interact with them. And just reaching out to students like, hey, aren't you signing up for computer science next year? Or am I going to see you in chemistry? Just bringing that invitation in and having them see things. And then I do I do some new things with um, conference type grading and ungrading. So uh, students and I have conversations about their growth and where we think they've gone. So instead of buying into this fake objectivity of what an A or a B is, we're having these conversations. And one of the coolest things this year, I really switched to that. Every girl in my computer science class told me that it was so much easier than they thought it was going to be. I was like, exactly, because wow. you have this myth, right? You have this myth in your brain of this being hard and that you don't belong here. And it's actually not that, not that tough. You're enjoying it. Well, how did you come up with this ungrading approach? I want to learn more about that. There's so many ah. that are just... You just feel so oppressed with, you know, summative assessments and they feel like yes. it's like a, almost like a scarlet letter, you know, Yeah. and they can never escape from it. So tell me about how you cultivated this philosophy really around ungrading. I started being a progressive grader. I went to standards space trying to do some mastery yeah. things. And I kind of thought like, oh, I'm really walking the walk here and I'm being so inclusive with, with what we're doing and students are so internally motivated. And then we all went home due to COVID. And I was back to just begging students mm. to do things, right? And I was like, oh, I, I really don't have this all figured out. And this is awful. And it was still just students working for points. Not that we all are going to be intrinsically motivated all the time. 
but how do students see their their journey and what they do every day is making them up as this whole person um, and how can they track their growth? So I started doing research when we were home that summer and I said, that's it. I'm done grading. And when we came back, we, I mean, we know in Washington state, we were all virtual for a long time, a lot longer yeah. than other states. So I came up with a system where I asked my principal and then I asked my students and their families, if you try and you do these four or five things, ask questions, get help when you need it, you're going to earn an A this year because you're home. And my administration went with it and my students went with it. And that was last year. We, I now have students pick their own grade, but doing that just made me realize some of my own biases, because I had made this deal with students, I kind of realized like, oh, I have some feelings about whether or not this person deserves an A. Do I actually know students that well? Not necessarily. And I have students who maybe don't feel comfortable sharing things with me. So I think teachers talk about giving grace, like, oh, give grace when a student asks for something. But what about all the students who aren't asking you that you don't know? So it's really forced me to develop stronger relationships with students and check myself and kind of come to a place where a student can grow from where they need to. That's what we're trying to do. I got to tell you, I continue to be inspired by the innovation I hear whenever I have a conversation with a teacher, whenever I have a conversation with a teacher. My sister is a fifth grade teacher. I always walk away just so amazed at the level of innovation. Sometimes when people think about GeekWire, they think about Dreambox, they think about innovation, they think about technology companies, they think about products. And there's so much innovation that's happening every day in classrooms across America that people have no idea about. And this is one of these innovations. I'm curious if it's going to kind of stick even post-pandemic. Like, is, do you think that this ungrading is going to have a place in the, quote, new normal classroom? I'm hopeful. <laughs> I, I just, I presented on it at the National Science Teaching Conference a couple of weeks ago, and people were sitting on the floor. I think, I think teachers and what happened to us in the last two yeah. years and what we're seeing with students, we're just seeing that it, it is a myth. I mean, grades were made up in the 1800s. They're, they're unnecessary. I, I think they're, they're a way to oppress people that we just, we just don't need. Most people's greatest learning experiences are learning an instrument or learning a sport yeah. or something where they got continual feedback, not when they received a score. Yeah. Formative. I love it. Lisa. Love it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I love too, that it, it, it knocks down another barrier really for kids who maybe would be curious about STEM and computer science classes, but maybe would fear that it's going to goof up their GPA by, by jumping into that space. So I love that maybe the more hesitant ones are, are going to be able to take that chance. And I'd love to turn to, to Stephanie and Davina too, to sort of get thoughts on other ways you're not following the normal track. I mean, some of it with Davina's having kids teach, I love. And, and I was wondering too on, on how the community responds to having kids as ambassadors sort of for technology. Um, maybe start with Davina and then go to, go to Stephanie and just sort of other things that you're doing in that sort of similar breaking down barriers with innovation to bring more folks into STEM. Yeah, I think our community is loving how kids are taking a leadership role. Uh, we had a STEM fair at our school not too long ago, and it was pretty much student-led, just kind of gave them guidelines, and then students went with it. Uh, we did invite a lot of local industry partners to set up shop in our STEM fair, and then we had students volunteering with them, learning with them as they demonstrated you know, learning experiences that are tied into our academic experiences. 
industry experiences that are tied into our academic uh, experiences. So it's great watching kids, and I think parents love to see their kids in that role. They also seem to catch things. They seem to understand things faster than we do, so they do a really good job. And if they've been given the task of explaining something, I think they go all out to learn it. And our school is a project-based learning environment, so every lesson includes a real-life project component. And I try to get a guest lecture tied into that from the community. For example, we did a unit on hardware management. So we're computer science and information technology. We did a hardware management unit. Students unassembled and assembled computers that were donated to us by our IT department surplus. Uh, So their trash became our treasure. And then they had to mock purchase items to build a computer uh, based on client specifications. So they got a budget and then had to go shopping and put to buy the pieces to put the computer together. So we try to give them real life projects in the classroom and where they their learning is all very relevant. So while they're meeting all the standards required to graduate, they are also building a very good portfolio. They're earning industry level certifications. They're also having the a chance to shadow or have registered apprenticeships with uh, different companies. So just creating these experiences for students, I feel has them embedded into their learning and they retain more. And it's just like what Johanna said, not about a grade, but taking that skill forward and having this feeling that they have they have become something through it not just a check mark on their you know on their list of graduation requirements do you want to jump in there stephanie first of all i want to say um johanna i really wanted i wish i would have been at your presentation about that ungrading <laughs> because i know one of the things that i really like to do is focus on instead of like the material focus on the learning piece i think that's one thing that they have this enduring skills that students can learn about themselves and take away. And I love the idea of where they aren't so focused on the grade. I mean, it's just something that has become part of kind of our culture and society. As I was just kind of listening and thinking, I had a conversation with a student this year, you know, after COVID, a lot of students are just kind of questioning like everything, you know, and they're going like, all of a sudden we're back at school after, you know, the pandemic. And, you know, I'm, I'm in a math class and I'm thinking, what is my future going to be like? And, and, you know, kind of this kind of sense of instability and, you know, just kind of talking to the students about all of the skills that they have learned. And I think that is one of the pieces when you think about like preparing for STEM, looking at the idea of adaptability and flexibility, and then looking at, you know, kind of that focus on how am I understanding this information and how can I apply it in the future? And I like the idea with the ungrading and the fact, like you had said, Lisa, is, is how many students with that idea of without that barrier where they don't, they aren't worried about taking an AP class because they're worried about their grade or they're worried about their test score. And they're more concerned about the content of the material, maybe some passions that they have in the future. So I'm not really sure if I tied back to that question. I kind of started thinking and processing about jo- what Johanna was saying and, and then thinking about that, the life, the experiences that, you know, that students have with projects in the classroom. We're talking with the three honorees for the GeekWire Awards STEM Educator of the Year. Let's take a quick break. When we return, 
We'll talk with our three teachers about what they have done to restore themselves during the last two challenging years of the pandemic. We'll be right back. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back to the GeekWire podcast. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. We're talking this week with the three honorees for the STEM Educator of the Year at the GeekWire Awards. That's Stephanie Winslow, a teacher at South Kitsap High School, Johanna Brown, a teacher at Pullman High School, and Davina Khan, a computer science and information technology instructional designer at West Valley Innovation Center. Joining us is Jesse Woolley Wilson, CEO and president of Dreambox Learning. Dreambox is a sponsor for this award. Jesse, I think you had a question for our three teachers. Well, each of you talked about um, the kind of crazy two past two years and the impact on the children you serve. It was like a typhoon. You know, we were kind of flying the plane as we were, we were building it almost because no one was really prepared for the impact of COVID. No one was really prepared for when I'm 100% remote. And we certainly weren't prepared for the learning opportunity loss that many students have experienced over the past two years. And so there's been hyper-focus on recuperating that learning loss opportunity and attending to children's social emotional learning needs. I have a question about teachers. What do you do to restore yourselves? What do you do to navigate through the typhoon? I know that through um, at the end of the year and uh, Johanna, you teach AP classes as well. It was this very strange timing because it was right before the advanced placement tests. And so that was another kind of barrier, another unknown for students. I just really started to do exactly what I tell students to do, like chunking information, chunking time, you know, trying to break it down and to make it more manageable because it was, it was overwhelming, you know, trying to learn so many new things. And, you know, there were a lot of tough times, but I think that, um, boy, I sure took a lot away from that experience that I'm using now. And so I think it was just kind of breaking it up into little pieces initially, and then just trying to get through short periods of time because it automatically was kind of like, okay, we'll be back in two weeks. Oh, we'll be back maybe in a month. Oh, we aren't going to be back. I remember that. You know, I mean, it was that constant, I mean, and it was that, you know, constant um, change. And so, um, and then, you know, just kind of finding a routine, finding a schedule, I think is the same thing that the students had to do. And then um, using kind of a work reward system, because it was really easy as a teacher that is spending a lot of time anyway to make for those hours to blend into many, many hours. And so, you know, just coming up with a a routine, a sense of what to get done at what time. Sounds like you were setting some barriers too. What about you, Johanna or Davina? For me, I've thought a lot about how I just came back less emotionally regulated. I feel like right before COVID, I was I was just really getting to a good place of being able to really 
handle myself and handle my emotions in the classroom and, and to have that work with my students and coming back, I was like, wow, I am way off. So I exercise, try to eat things I like. And also lots of, I mean, I like vegetables, but lots of, I try, I just try to eat well. I try to keep moving. And I'm also a pretty anxious person. I was really perfectionistic in high school um, to the point where I did not get straight A's because I was so intense about doing things well and then not doing things and procrastinating anyway. So I work on that in my classroom, Um, but I still have it. And so something that helped me, I read the characteristics of cultural white supremacy. There's a lot to take away in there. And something they talked about, and it's not blaming anyone for anything. It's just, this is the water we swim in. And let's see if we can actually look at that water instead of just being in it. And it talks about this false sense of urgency. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am suffering from this symptom about how things need to be urgent. And so in the classroom, reminding myself and reminding students that nothing is really urgent, that you can always learn something later. You can always turn something in later. You are welcome to email me at night, but there is nothing in this class that is so urgent that I need to respond to you, that we can't figure it out. So I might not look at it because you matter, but whatever is going on about this class doesn't matter. And if it's that urgent, you either need the emergency room or like some adult that is there with you. So that has just helped me gain perspective on, we have made this up societally and I don't need to buy into it. Like we can learn things whenever we need to and take care of them whenever we need to. So that's helped me a lot. So I wonder listening to of de-stressing you also translated into de-stressing the kids you serve. I mean, like- yeah. Yes. And I tried it like Stephanie was saying, those those chunking techniques, when you are explicit about those with students, when you're like, this is what I've had to do. I set a timer on my phone for 15 minutes to do something that I don't want to do. And then it goes off and I feel good about my 15 minutes. You know, if we, we need to be open. And that's what I love about Gen Z is just being more open about mental yep. health, being more open about talking yep. about what's going on with us. I think it's really important. Wonderful. Davina. A lot of what they both said, Stephanie and Johanna, organization is the key. And I feel like if you're passionate about something, you'll figure it out. And uh, eventually. So what I did in my class, and I try to model whatever I'm teaching. So at the start of the school year, I spend the first week in showing students what I do and how I do it. So if I'm using a digital tool to plan or to set up my appointments, I will show them that this is what I use and this is how I do it. And this is how I use my planner. This is how I write things out. And just like, you know, what Johanna said, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to say it's not done yet. We can come back to it. So if you are not stressed, you are the one who carries it. the vibe in your classroom. And we're all human and there are days when you're not. <laughs> uh, but if you can, have that calm vibe or at least show how to plan. I think that it helps all of us be less stressed and less anxious. Other than that, I think I've done, I've done a lot of reading uh, over the months of the pandemic and writing notes and, you know, just trying to see how I can apply this into my daily life. So self-reflection, a lot of improvement and, Whatever I learn, I feel like I need to tell my kids as well. That's what we've been up to. You guys should do a TED talk <laughs> so that you know industry leaders could learn from the wisdom of teachers and apply it to business context. You guys are great. Well, we're lucky that we have kids uh, <laughs> to deal with the whole day. Adults are a 
whole different ballgame. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> get a lot of think, free feedback. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, going through that experience together, there's something to be said about, you know, part of our job, we love our jobs as being teachers, but going through that experience with your classes and it was really unique as well. Even though we were apart, I mean, building relationships is so huge when it comes to students, but we built a relationship through a similar experience and something we can still reflect on and grow from. Yeah, we've learned a lot from that experience. And I, I think that Stephanie and Johanna would agree with me that when students came back to school hybrid, they had their masks on and they wouldn't talk. The classrooms were super quiet and it was disturbing. So I would stand there and I'd say, all right, guys, let's have a conversation. Let's all talk. Can you guys talk to each other? And they'd be like, what? You're asking us to talk? I said, yes, yes, yes. I want you guys to talk. There's been this huge gap. We've missed out a lot on life. Come on, let's let's chat and let's talk about all kinds of things. It took a while for kids to be kids again, you know, but now it's normalized. Now everything's normal, pretty much. As a reporter, I'm always looking for the themes and, and what I'm hearing. And just, it keeps going back to this, this, the warmth that you are all creating and the accessibility and just teeing kids up for success in such a beautiful way. It's really amazing. Your classrooms must be so much fun to be in. I want to go in a slightly different direction because I know that that you are all also teachers of teachers and, and have a lot of leadership in STEM education. And I think that's also a place where just as students are intimidated by STEM, I imagine some teachers, particularly going into hardcore computer science or just very technical science, have more intimidation. And I wonder what you do to support your peers and and fellow teachers and sort of as as a mentor or as an example or in specific outreach that you do. Stephanie, I know that you have done a lot in that area. I'm the a district curriculum coordinator, and so I'm fortunate enough that I'm kind of a conduit in a way in a lot of different directions. And I think that one of the pieces that I think is really important for teachers is the opportunity for professional development. Professional development, whether it's going to something that's, you know, deep science, something that's teaching, NSTA, like the National Science Teachers Association conventions, I think that professional development and learning. Teachers love learning. And I think the key to keeping teachers to, um, I I think they already, they already want to learn. So if you give them an opportunity to go do it, that is going to like, it's going to self like perpetuate um, their desire to learn and improve. And so I think that that is one of the most important pieces. I also think you know, just being informed about different opportunities besides professional development. I, I know we are part of a number of grants at our school, just ways where you can build your program to uh, meet the needs of your teachers. And of course, that always is going to reflect and improve the experience of our students. So that's, I think, the big one. So our district offers uh, professional development classes throughout the year and summer institutes every year where staff can sign up for various classes. And then last year we offered, um, and I co-taught that uh, class. It was a Google certified educator class uh, to prepare uh, any educator who wanted to sign up and become Google educator certified. And through the program, we had over 20 teachers and administrators who got their Google certification and kind of excited them to go to the next step. And uh, so we, we have programs like this throughout the year. And uh, I feel like the pandemic actually, one of the greatest benefits of it was that 
you know, the undeniable uh, need to embrace technology. We use technology in ways we've never used before. And that kind of eased up a lot of teachers into understanding that technology is not a monster and that they can learn it and they can use it as one of the most amazing tools in their classrooms. That has kind of eased people into do, trying out new things. And so that's been working out really well. And then to the idea of helping teachers who might feel intimidated or students, I'm, I'm a pretty hardcore constructivist. So I believe when we learn things, we, we construct that knowledge, right? And the idea of a teacher being this fount of knowledge who is able, so good that they can just transact it to that student. And it's this just, I guess, transaction is just the word in my brain where you hand off your knowledge. And it's just not how learning works. It's not our understanding of cognitive science. I learned how to code to teach my class and that was really hard and really intimidating. And that first year, I just asked students to come with me on this journey as we coded in Java somewhat together. I was only about three months ahead of them. And was it perfect? No, but was it really good? And did students learn how to code? Yeah. And so when I'm, when I'm working with teachers, it's really about how are you constructing this student experience? to discover things, to be a critical thinker. And as a teacher, I actually, I don't think adults should know everything. I don't think they should seem that they know everything. I tell students, if an adult says that they know exactly what's going on, you should not believe them because we actually don't. And so I'm really trying to break down that barrier of a teacher needing to know everything and have it perfectly together because we don't. And that's what makes science and tech great is there are things none of us know that we all need to figure out. So we we don't need a teacher to just tell us the facts. I just wanted to really quickly add something that you just said. So even as teachers, just like with students, we talked about earlier about really being connected with the idea of a grade as a, as a teacher, you're very connected with standards. You know, what are you, what are the kids supposed to know and all of those different things. And I think that with the pandemic, what it did take us back to were some of like the importance of constructing knowledge, the importance of building the relationships, not only with your students, but with other teachers, because it used to be like three years ago, our conversations were very clearly about standards, about what we're doing to, you know, meet standards, you know, how we're collecting data, all that, which is also very important. But what the experience brought us back to, or were again, some of those basics, like building relationships with students, looking at the critical thinking skills that students are developing, problem solving skills, like these enduring thinking skills that they can take away and apply anywhere. Let's take another break in our conversation with the honorees for STEM Educator of the Year at the GeekWire Awards. All three will be recognized at the awards ceremony, which will be online and in person at the Showbox Sodo on May 12th. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the GeekWire podcast. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. In this special edition of the podcast, we're talking to the three honorees for STEM Educator of the Year at the GeekWire Awards. Stephanie Winslow, a teacher at South Kitsap High School. Johanna Brown, a teacher at Pullman High School. And Davina Khan, a computer science and information technology instructional designer at the West Valley Innovation Center. Jesse Willie Wilson, CEO and president of Dreambox Learning is joining our conversation. Jesse has a first question in this segment of our conversation. I was just reflecting on a conversation I had with a middle schooler who was just blown away by the innovation around the virus and the, you know, the medicine, the innovation to give a, to get us 
um, all inoculated. And they thought about STEM differently because they noticed that some of the best solutions from Pfizer and Moderna were things that were developed in the United States. And they hadn't thought about healthcare as part of innovation. And they hadn't thought about the connection between STEM and doing something that would make the world better. There's so many kids who are forward in their thinking about, I just don't want to go and make money. I want to do something purposeful. And many of them feel the burden of like fixing things that my generation has messed up, like the environment. And so I know you all think about how to make STEM real and how to make it anchored in the real world. How has this, the last couple of years changed, if at all, how you approach bringing real life into your STEM curriculum? So I wanna take that question because I am actually working on a project as we speak on that particular topic that you just mentioned about our environment, for example. So Earth Day is coming up, April 22nd. And I was trying to figure out how we can cover Earth Day in my computer science and IT class. So a project that we're currently working on is themed around the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And our students have been placed into groups and each group is creating a diorama of future cities that have achieved these goals. And their presentation will include descriptions of how these goals have been achieved in their city. Mm-hmm. So they, they have a fake city and the city is in a, in a country, in a real country that's part of the United Nations. And each group has been given two or three out of the 17 goals. So at the end, we'll have all the 17 goals covered. So these students have had to do research on what the problems are, what the goals are, And through that process, they have learned so much about what the earth needs, what we need to do to have more sustainable communities, to have more, to end poverty, to end hunger, and so on and so forth. And they are creating prototypes of devices that can be used in these cities, uh, such as uh, one one of the groups has this goal that for health, every family will get a fitness tracker from the government. And so our students are actually creating the fitness tracker uh, using Python, and then they're going to download that into a little micro bit and make a little device. So just to just part of the diorama. This is how we're trying to bring in real life into our classroom. And kids are thinking and, and they're, they're understanding that they're the future generation and they need to sustain the earth so they can live on it peacefully and with in health. This is just an example of how we're doing it in our classroom. I love that it's so solutions focused and not here are the problems you need to understand them, but how do we, you know, feel empowered to solve these things and apply this technology in such a powerful way? Didn't to be hopeful in a time that isn't always so hopeful. That's beautiful. And they're coming up with amazing ideas because they're reading up, they're reading all this stuff, they're writing down their hat, they have like uh, they have a project manager in their group and then they have uh, tasks delegated and they're coming up with research. And I, I hear their conversations and I'm blown away uh, by, we could do this. Why don't they ever do this? Why didn't they ever do that? <laughs> How come they don't do this in Yakima? So it's great because now they even, I said, well, you could have a goal when you grow up and when you're in a position 
to actually make that impact, you can, because now you know. So it's amazing to see them go through this process and this journey. And students have more resiliency than we give them credit for. And when you invite students to be co-creators, you give them a sense of agency. They jump in. Like if we could make education engaging for every student, amazing things would happen. And we underestimate the importance of engagement. That doesn't mean easy and it doesn't mean entertainment. It means that it has intrinsic rewards. It's meaningful, it's purposeful, and it's relevant. And when you bring real world things into your classroom, you're giving a gift to them. And I think you're giving a gift to society. It's, it's amazing. Stephanie, Joanna, did you want to jump in on that one also? I just wanted to say, uh, I hope you don't mind if I use your idea. <laughs> you know how teachers are. <laughs> I, so I teach AP environmental science uh, and it's very solution focused and it can be a heavy class. And it's really, you know, there are times where I just look out and we're talking about these subjects, knowing, you know, what's happening in the world and, you know, COVID and everything else where, you know, it's a heavy subject a lot of the times, but coming and looking at, okay, so identifying the problem is part of the solution. We've now identified the problem. Now, what are we going to do about it? kind of looking at the progress that we've made, but I do think, you know, focusing on our environmental solutions. And I think that what I like about uh, your project also is it's not just looking at us as, you know, the United States, it's like looking at us globally. I mean, in the planet, we are on a shared resource. And um, back to the uh, vaccination connection, it is, it's really interesting because oftentimes students really don't think of STEM fields with medical just lately. And I, I didn't really realize it until I was talking to a student that was going into becoming a nurse and um, just kind of their conversations as, as thinking it is kind of separate. And it was a good reminder about, you know, having that conversation, like how is it all connected and what are some of the um, elements and some of the ways that you can improve the world through STEM? With the real world connection, I have to plug the next generation science standards. I think they are really pushing not just teachers, but districts as a whole to be so much more invested in solving problems and bringing things that are real world into the classroom. And it's something I've, I've gotten better at ha- having COVID forcing me to kind of revamp my curriculum, really made sure every unit in chemistry is now embedded in some sort of real world application. And and I used to always think, well, how, how are we going to cover everything? How are we going to have time? And it's like, who remembers their high school chemistry class? Every single thing. Absolutely no one. But who remembers solving that big problem or figuring something out? And I have to say, especially this year, the things that my students are able to now transfer forward, where before I'd be like, okay, so which one's ionic, which one's covalent? It was not there. But now because we've, we've done everything with actual applications, it, it just sticks so much better and their problem solving is so much better. So not only are they engaged, they then take those skills with them a lot better. You know, one of the things too, like you were talking about, you don't remember the specific details of your, you know, your chemistry class, but I guarantee that your students remember how you made them feel in that class. And part of that connects to their emotional enduring understanding. And then with the next generation science standards, it's impressive when you actually look at the standards and you read through, here's what they are, here's what they're not. And, and really what they are is how to live on earth and understand the science and how it's connected to earth as a system. Well, as I listen to you, um, I think about all of the life skills that you're intentionally cultivating in the students that you serve. 
And, I, you know, I dream about to really try. They say, well, what, you're really trying to help teach kids math. And I said, well, we're really trying to help kids to learn how to learn and to love it while they do it so that they can have agency in recreating their own skill sets over and over and over again over the course of their lives so that regardless of what the world presents to them, what industries, how robotics is going to change the way we live, whatever their future possesses, they'll have the confidence that they can solve problems, they can think critically, they can harness collective wisdom through effective collaboration. These are things that happen in learning. It's not so much about the math or the reading or the, it is, but it's really about the skills that you all are intentionally cultivating in the next generation of learners. And it's just an inspiration for me to hear. Absolutely. This has been so much fun just to hear the specifics of what's going on. I think some of us could be removed from what's happening in the classroom and to hear the exciting things that are happening is really, really rewarding. And I really want to thank all of you so much for joining us on this special episode of the Geek Wire podcast. And a huge thanks to Jesse, Stephanie, Johanna, and Davina for joining us today to talk about innovation, diversity, and empowerment in STEM education. It's just been fantastic. Really appreciate it. And remember, you can still sign up to tune in to the GeekWire Awards by going to geekwire.com slash awards. And we hope you'll join us on May 12th, either in person at the Showbox Soto or online. We're going to be recognizing these three great women, but also nominees from across more than a dozen other categories at the GeekWire Awards. It's always a lot of fun at this event. And of course, we have some special surprises in store. And to see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, and innovation, go to geekwire.com and sign up for our daily email newsletter to receive all of our stories. Our podcast producer is Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. And I am GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. Thank you so much for joining us.